Hello and welcome to the Creative Lotus Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Zaki. Recall a performance or a movie or anything that they saw that made them feel represented for the first time. And a lot of people have to like stop and think because they like can't remember. Um, some folks are like, well, I never, uh, as a kid, like I saw a female character and that was like, oh, I'm like that girl. The the ethnicity or the experience of that character didn't matter to them so much while others associated with it very specifically. Um, and a lot of people say like, well, I technically, you know, they say like, well, I've seen a Hispanic character that I related to, but as far as like a non-binary Hispanic character on TV that's a lead, they haven't had that representation yet. So there's still a ways to go for a lot of things. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Lotus Podcast. On this week's episode, we have Juan Ayala. He is a podcaster, entertainment journalist, and actor. Please enjoy this episode. Welcome, Juan. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, So, Juan, uh, I want to start off with a simple question, kind of, what's your background? Where are you born and raised? Where did you kind of grow up? And um, how did you get into this entertainment industry that we're in? So uh, I was born and raised in Connecticut, um, in Bridgeport, and then moved uh, town over to Trumbull for high school. Um, First generation American of an immigrant family from El Salvador. And um, I just, as a 90s kid, I developed like the biggest love for Disney movie musicals and for all the animated movies. So like that just I got so involved with music and love singing and all of that and started singing a lot in school and in church. And then as I got older, it just became more and more of an interest of mine. I didn't know where to even begin pursuing an entertainment career or a career in journalism or anything like that. I very much stumbled into a lot of these different facets of my life now. Um, But, you know, sort of of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's like it's always been there. That interest, just looking back, as knowing uh, how much of an impact music had on me as a kid and as a teen growing up, and it was a way for me to express myself, and it was just such a wonderful outlet for me. So, once I was applying for colleges, I was applying to some for criminal justice with hopes of maybe being a lawyer. And then when I finally got into a school, I switched my major to theater arts and was like, okay, let's see what what this brings. And I figured I'll play a lawyer at some point in my career. So I'll just do that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what kind of drew you to um, going into like the, the attorney side of things? Um, what kind of took you on that path, if that makes sense? And then ultimately you kind of switched halfway through. So... Um, just always thinking of like a viable career, especially when you have immigrant parents, they're always thinking like medical field, the law, something that's always in demand. So I, I had no interest in being a doctor. I do not like science at all. I love English and history. So I'm like, let's, you know, maybe look into law and, and really interested me. And in, uh, in college, uh, in high school, I did lots of psychology and sociology, just learning about the mind and all of that stuff. And that always fascinated me. And of course, it ended up helping as an actor, knowing about psychology and the impact of society on people and, and all of that. But um, yeah, it, it was just sort of uh, the general mentality of, of, a, of an immigrant family wanting you to choose something very secure that pays well, that is always in demand. And then just developing sort of my own um, affinity for some of the topics that are discussed there a lot. Cool. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm sure you could use all of that kind of knowledge that you took on and then be able to use it in in your journalism as well as acting and um, even dialogue and communicating on your podcast as well. Yeah, That's so cool. Absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah, I 
I know how you feel. All my family is a bunch of doctors and people that are in the medical field. And I completely went the opposite way, becoming an artist and photographer. So I can definitely relate. Were your family kind of thrown off by that when you were like, by the way, I'm bouncing out of this criminal justice system and going and studying kind of the the world of uh, the arts? Yes, because there's the age old adage when it comes to entertainment. It's like, it's all about who you know. And my parents were very realistic. They're like, we don't know anybody, so we can't be of any help to you uh, when it comes to to you know making connections and all of that. And back then, there was also the mentality of you know if you want to do Broadway, you go to New York. If you want to do film or TV, you go to Los Angeles. Now it's very much everywhere. There's lots of theater in LA. There's lots of TV and film that shoots in New York, and all the big casting, uh, the big um, all the network headquarters are here really except for like the CW that's like the only one that's in LA um but everyone else is here in New York um of course I didn't learn that until later but uh <laughs> right yeah so they were always worried but like basically once I started doing some smaller theater gigs in Connecticut that paid they were like okay like if if he you know can get some money doing this and you know works another side job then and and especially once I booked my first uh commercial and my dad did it with me actually because oh, wow. looking for like real father son pairings. It was for um, for Sprint, and you know all those uh, mobile carrier uh, commercials are like real families and real yeah. testimonials and all that. <laughs> so when he saw the check that he got, he's like, "Wow, you guys get this for like a day of work, <laughs> and that's just for for working." And then you get like if they use it and they renew it, you get you continue to get checks or whatever. Right. He's like, wow, all this for a day. He's like, so you could just do like one of these a month or whatever. And I'm like, well, that's very optimistic. You know, I'm, no one is booking 12 jobs a year. If we're lucky, you know, booking five. Um, I, I feel lucky with one, to be honest, just knowing the statistics out there. But um, once I started to, you know, work in the field and start to make a little bit of money, their uh, anxiety and all that sort of subsided because they're like, okay, it's working. He's, he's, he'll be okay. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. You always, I always feel like you want to make sure that your parents feel proud of you, but then also know they want to ensure that you feel safe and like secure in your job that you're doing, you know? And yeah. so hence the taking the route of, you know, typical jobs, but you showed him you can make it, you can make it happen. So um, like, Dad, you can make it too. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this could be the burgeoning of your career. You could become an actor. You can do this. Right. Mind you, my dad himself has, has changed careers so many times throughout his life. He was a chef for the majority of my life growing up and then took advantage of like the housing boom and bought property and flipped houses and got his realtor's license. And now he owns a landscaping company and manages that. So it's like, you know, I've always said, and I will continue to say it, but like, if I ever end up like a bum on the street, it is because of my own damn fault and not because of like my parents, because their work ethic has always been like through the roof. And, and I try and carry that with me like so much because they work so hard for me and my sister to be able to afford to pursue our dreams and our passions that they couldn't. Unfortunately, my dad also loves music, but he never he grew up in a very poor family in El Salvador, so that was never something he could pursue. So he tried to instill that in me. He like bought me my first keyboard and a chord book and all of that. And that's how I first started learning piano and all of that. So they've always been very encouraging. Um, maybe not forthright and like, go for it, kid, <laughs> from a young age. But still very much like, if it interests you, then you can make it work. Definitely still pursue it. That's awesome. So I'm just curious. Um, living on the East coast, did you make your way out here to LA and kind of pursue the 
typical acting kind of career um, after you got out of school or did you stay on the East Coast? I know you're there right now, but um, if I'm not mistaken, I thought you did come to Los Angeles and were out here for a bit. Is that not true? I visited a few times. So um, for my journalism side of things, I have had to go to Los Angeles several times. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, LA is cool. Not for me in terms of okay. like living there long term. Uh, I don't drive. I despise driving and it gives me horrible it. anxiety. So uh, New York is like perfect for me where you can walk everywhere or at least take a train. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I'm very much an, e- an East Coast boy. If someone wants to book me and move me out to LA, I'm all for it. <laughs> but, you know, that's a that's a big that's a big contract uh but (laughs) uh but you know uh right after college i started working for a theater company in bridgeport um just sort of as like their their regular staff and then started doing a lot of their shows and they asked me to direct some of the children's theater so i started to just sort of continue to branch out and all of that because while i was in college i wrote my first musical i wrote like my first score it's the only one ever in (laughs) not done it again since then it's a lot of work um, and wrote a couple other plays and like sort of, uh, and I still do like an ongoing concert series there every year, which is really fun to do. Um, sort of bringing, we, we call it Broadway takeover cause it's like, we're bringing Broadway to Bridgeport cause there's not a lot of, um, arts besides like two theater companies there. Um, but I, I very much sort of stayed in Connecticut and was working at this, uh, this theater and that was basically my job. I was an assistant manager and directed and was in their shows in the summertime um, and was just sort of trying to expand from there. And then coincidentally, um, shortly after, uh, for a few years, I think it was 2016 that the, that particular theater company, the, uh, owners at the time had to give up their ownership. They couldn't afford to keep it open. So it went dark for a while and we were all just sort of like very disappointed because we had already announced like our next season. Our first show was cast rehearsals were about to start and then we lose the venue but then the owners were trying to help us so we basically formed like a a sort of another theater company um but that would float around we called it vagabond theater company so we're just sort of like going from venue to venue for for whatever show that we could book for um but then around that time as well there was a hallmark channel christmas movie that was filming in bridgeport like two blocks from that theater that was also Mm. two blocks from my college and they were looking for extras. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I've never been an extra in anything before. So I, um, you know, applied to, to do it. And uh, they then sort of upgraded me to like a featured extra. Um, like I had my, had a character name. I didn't have any dialogue. But I mm. got to work with Melissa Joan Hart. And D- oh, right. So Super nice. And Sabrina. And it yeah. was a really, really cute Christmas movie. It took place in a newsroom, sort of like in um the today show or good morning America, that type of environment. Uh, and I was like the wardrobe designer is who my character was. Um, so, and then like there I met a whole bunch of other extras and I had asked them like, do you guys do this for a living? Like, what do you guys do like as your job? And they're like, no, we we came down from New York. Cause this at the time where the minimum wage in New York was $10. It was not 15 like it is now. And this production was paying like $14 an hour cash at the end of the night. So just give you your envelope of cash and they're like, here you go. Thanks for your service. (laughs) So a lot of people were making the commute for this like paid in cash at the end of the night and all of that. And they were like, yeah, you have to go to, uh, you have to sign up at central casting. You got to go to casting networks, actors access. So like I had it not been for the kindness of all of these other people, I would have never known how to get started in TV and film because I was only doing theater at that point. I didn't have a manager. I didn't have an agent. I had no idea how to start. Um, cause it, like I said, I didn't know that there was a, um, TV and film industry in 
New York. For all I knew, only Law and Order filmed in New York, and everything else was was in L.A. Uh, but yeah, similarly, I try and pass, you know, pay it forward, and always, if a young actor reaches out and asks me, like, oh, what website should I sign up for? I always tell them, like, you know, here's like the basics. Sign up here because just paying it forward and continuing to sort of pass that on and you know kindness is is very free <laughs> it's free to give out it's it's a lot of effort to be mean <laughs> it's very true it goes a long way that's from there i kind of i'm interested in knowing kind of how did you once you start learning about like how to get access to these things and you know picking up acting gigs and new york being the big case did, did you then move to new york and that was like your big move mm-hmm. so for about 2 years i was once i had signed up for all these websites and was being an extra in like anything that shot in new york I did a bunch of stuff on Quantico, on all the Netflix Marvel shows, because they all filmed in New York, like um, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, the Law and Order, all the shows that they have, and the FBI franchise, and all this stuff. There's so much work in New York that I knew a lot of people who would be extras five days a week. And if you know they were SAG, they got even better pay, and they got health benefits and all that stuff. Um, so I was commuting back and forth for about two years and I would try to stick to like three days a week because the Metro North is expensive and being non-union, your pay is not great. It is still minimum wage. Um, and it was just very exhausting. You have to be at on set at 6am. That means I'm taking a train at 4am and you know, you're on set for 12 hour, 12 to 16 hours a day. It just became very, very exhausting, you know, hauling clothes from Connecticut to New York and all that stuff. Um, so eventually, like once I, I had made it sort of my goal in 2019, I don't like New Year's resolutions, but just one of my goals for that year was um, three of my goals were to find an agent or a manager to book my first TV role, what, whatever the size, and to move to New York. So uh, in about mid, oh no, it was about uh, probably February of 2019, I got an audition for a show called Blindspot. Uh, that was on NBC and uh, it was for, it was like a two line co-star role as an FBI lab tech. And I had worked on the show as an extra. So I had, I already knew like a lot of the background actors, a lot of the PAs and sort of like the people like the lower tiers. Um, And once I got the audition, I I eventually booked it, which was amazing. So um, I got my first co-star in 2019 so I was like, check. Okay, there, there's the first thing off my list. And I think that we finally filmed in March because they had to delay it a bunch of times because there was like an onset injury and they had to shut down production for a little bit and all that. Um, yeah, so uh, we eventually shot it. It was in uh, March that we shot it. And then like by May, I started looking at apartments or like, you know, for like subletting rooms and whatnot. And um, then all of a sudden I found myself moving June 1st from uh, Connecticut to New York. So I finally moved in that summer of 2019. Uh, I found a part-time job at a gym here because I knew I didn't want to move to New York just to continue doing background work, especially after having booked my first co-star. I was like, let's keep the momentum going. Let's not revert. Let's take steps forward and um, have a flexible part-time job so that I can still audition and whatnot whenever they come my way. Because back then, everything was in person. There were no tapes back then unless it was filming in Atlanta or something. And... um, and, and yeah, so then uh, also in June, I think I'd been living here a week or, or so, um, uh, an agent from Atlanta in Nashville reaches out through casting networks mm-hmm. and says that they're expanding their roster to New York talent and they wanted to have a meeting. So we had a meeting over Zoom. I think Skype. Was it remember Skype? <laughs> yes, uh, yes. <laughs> um, 
presume uh at least when everyone else used it and um and i had a meeting and then i signed with them and was them for a couple years um sadly they closed up shop it wasn't viable for them anymore because of the pandemic but um they were a, a great rep and got me some cool auditions uh for things that filmed in nashville or in memphis because they had an office there and things that filmed in atlanta um and uh yeah, that's kind of how all of that started and sort of getting the ball rolling once I moved to New York, finally. Wow. That's exciting, though. That's like, I mean, I didn't, I had no clue that it was that recent, so that's even better. But then I guess that leads me to my next question. You know, obviously, you know, you get to New York in 2019 and then obviously 2020 happens and we know the pandemic was so strong in New York. Can you share kind of maybe some struggles that the last two years have kind of put you through, but that maybe you feel as though have even made you stronger in your career because you've had to just kind of overcome them as a creative and staying, you know, afloat and kind of keep moving forward. Yeah. So, you know, I had only been living in New York for about nine months when COVID hit in March, 2020. I was actually on set. I was working as a stand-in. Oh, wow. On uh, on Inventing Anna. Did you watch that? Who did not watch that show? I mean, everything. I still haven't seen it. (laughs) What? Oh my gosh. You're like the one person, all of all of the worlds, if you will, or at least the United States. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'd wor- you know, you, you, you see how the sausage is made. You don't want to eat the sausage anymore. Uh, <laughs> plus knowing how long it took to film. Cause it started in 2020 and it didn't come out until this year. It like, was over two years from, because of COVID, of course it was a small delay, but, um, yeah, we were working on, on set. We were booked for like a week because they were block shooting all of the scenes that took place in their, in their journal and their like the newspaper or the, the magazine office. Um, so they're filming everything within like a week for the whole season, uh, or the whole series really, uh, in that week in just cause they rented the location just for like that short amount of time. So they wanted to, you know, get the bang for their buck. So it was like day three, it was like a Friday or it was a Thursday actually. And then they said, you know, after they had said like, Hey guys, there's like this, thing going around so you know just we have hand sanitizer they're gonna be serving you uh lunch instead instead of everyone going like buffet style and touching everything and mm-hmm. said you know we'll have gloves and stuff so just you know try and keep your distance from people if you feel sick let us know stay home blah blah, blah. wow um you know th- now you're like god why were we in mind this was like 50 extras a crew of another 50 people right. in a small not small but you know no, it was impossible to be six feet apart from each other right it's an office with double the capacity of people that should have been. Uh, and then by lunch that day, so we came back from lunch, we we're about to start filming again. They said, Hey guys, Shonda Rhimes just called. Uh, they're, we're shutting down production immediately. Broadway was just forced to close. Like it was the same day. So it was like everything was shutting down. Um, and we were just like, all like, what the heck? Like what's going on? And then after the weekend, that Monday, all the gyms were shutting down. And I worked at a gym at the time. So I was like, I have no job now. I just lost both of the the things I had lined up. And uh, mind you, that week was my boyfriend's birthday week and also his spring break because he was still in school. So we were, he was going to come stay with me for that week. Uh, Both of his parents work in healthcare, but they were like, you guys need to come to, to Jersey because New York is just every day was getting progressively worse. And then I was going to go stay with my family for a little bit because similarly, they're like gyms are shutting down for, for two weeks ended up being like six months. Uh, <laughs> and, and my parents were like, you know, again, every day that I was in Jersey, New York, just getting shut down, shut down, shut down. There weren't their transit was shutting down. They were not letting people in or out really. And, um, my parents were getting like anxious and they were like, don't go home. Don't go to Brooklyn. Just come, 
straight from Jersey and I went to like from there to the World Trade Center to the Grand Central to Connecticut because they were like, don't stop anywhere. Just come straight here. I was going to stay with them for a couple of weeks. It ended up being like three or four months. I finally came back to New York in July. But like during that time was actually when I started my podcast because I finally had time and energy <laughs> to 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 do that myself because I had, I think I have like podcast art of like coming, you know, November 2019 didn't happen until May 2020 because I was just so burnt out. It was like wave one of a burnout that I experienced. So we learned time management during the last couple of years. Uh, it, it was just so uh, just working a part time job. Mind you, at a gym, it was like 35 hours a week. So it's almost full time, but it was, you know, part time on paper. Um, and it's like, you know, I was opening up the gym like four days a week, which is like 5 a.m. So I was up at four and then having to have energy to uh, write a, an article for my journalism job, which was I was freelancing at the time or to do an interview or to do a, uh, an audition to go to the city and do an audition. And it was just like so much all at once that like these little creative things that I wanted to do myself, like a podcast had to take a backseat and acting felt like it was taking a backseat for a while there too. And it felt that way for a lot of the pandemic, especially once the gyms reopened later in 2020, I asked for a promotion because I figured, well, all these auditions are tapes, so I don't have to be available. So let me get a raise and get some more hours and, you know, be an adult and work a big boy job. And, and, but that also ended up being like, huge burnout because I got my first manager in the middle of COVID like June 2020 is when I signed where I was freelancing with um with the manager and they were getting me a lot of auditions as things started to open back up so before I knew it I was juggling a podcast a full-time job a relationship and auditioning like three times a week if I was lucky and it was like all taped so I'd be coming home and would have printed my sides at work and was like reading it on my walk back home from work on my commute and then getting here, having been up since 3.30 in the morning to tape. And it was just like so much. Like the burnout was absolutely real. Like I had a couple little meltdowns <laughs> over the last two years because things just got so overwhelming because I was juggling so much. So I guess from that, though, obviously, like you said, you're able to start creating your amazing podcast, Actors with Issues, um, and um, you're still doing your journalism and you have multiple outlets that you work with. So um, I guess that's also a beautiful thing. You know, the name of the podcast, which I created actually out of 2020 as well, uh, but got started last year in 2021 was really because I saw that creatives have this ability. I mean, a lot of people do, not just creatives, but uh, to stay in this industry, you you know, either freelancing or working full time, even uh, to like take your struggles, right, or the the muck of you know that you have to deal with, and like turn it into like the fuel for you to really push forward. Um, so that's so inspiring that you you know were able to see the negative of having to you know let's say stay in you know can I get with family for three months, but it's like you took it and like flipped it you know and made it into uh, something that you were you're wanting to do and now had the time to do and and put it to you. So speaking of your podcast. Um, I'm so intrigued kind of how and uh, what kind of spurred the idea of Actors with Issues because, you know, I think it's a great title first and foremost, but um, you you have such a plethora of amazing actors from Broadway to, uh, you know, the silver screen as well as uh, on TV series and whatnot. So um, kind of how did you get that going? I'm, I'm very intrigued. 
So initially, um, I started, or I wanted to start the show, and I always had the name Actress with Issues. It's never really gone through. I was like, that's such a, like, because, you know, like now my videos, because now it's like on YouTube as well, because I just want it. It's like a second outlet. It has like a second life there, because I used to be lucky to get 50 listeners on a podcast device, and now I can get a couple thousand on YouTube, depending on the guest and on the show that they're promoting. Some of these shows have huge followings. I'm like, wow, I didn't know this show was that popular. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh but you know just the the interviews start with like my little intros like actors we've all got issues let's talk about them and because we all deal with so many different day-to-day issues um or career obstacles whether it's audition anxiety imposter syndrome which is like it's real over here sometimes uh and you know um just anything from like jitters to how do i get my first agent getting dropped by your first rep uh you know just uh getting discouraged and self-doubt and all of that all that stuff sets in and i just learned very quickly interviewing all these people no matter where you are in your career you always have the same issues and i just would always get a little frustrated uh watching some of these like interviews with big actors who have been in the industry for like 40 50 years and they're giving like ancient advice it's it's good advice but it's not helpful like streaming didn't exist 10 years ago so like they can't really speak to how the landscape has changed if some if some young actors only know streaming and don't watch broadcast or cable tv you know um so i just loved being able to have these conversations with people and when it started like the first guest was my best friend was a fellow actor he lives in atlanta now he's done some stuff with cw and he's been doing such a great job um and sort of just uh, reaching out to actors that I'd worked with, whether it was on a short film or I met on set as a background actor and they were booking their own co-stars and stuff like that. And then just as it got, as I started to run out of people. <laughs> as one does, it happens. Yes. Right. Very quickly, more, quicker than you think. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I started just DMing actors. I'd watch a show during COVID and be like, oh, that's really cool. And then I would just DM them and some people responded, others didn't. Um, or they'd have like a little email button on their profile. So I'd shoot them an email with my pitch. Um, and then eventually started utilizing IMDb pro, which I already had as an actor. So then I'm looking and it says, Oh, here's their publicist email, click, 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 and sending my pitch. And then if that didn't work out, a lot of publicists, you know, they have lots of clients. So they'd be like, Oh, they're not available, but here's someone who is available. Who's promoting a show or they have a press day coming up. So that's just sort of how the ball started getting uh, rolling. And now I'm very lucky that sometimes I don't even have to email people anymore. They just send people my way because it's, you know, over 50 publicists at this point that I've been working with for the last two, just over two years. Right. Now. Um, and then having my my journalism job, um, I write for an outlet called Media Village. Mm-hmm. And a year after starting Actors with Issues, uh, my editor really liked that podcast. He's like, well, why don't you do one for us and we'll pay you for it? I was like, I get to be paid for podcasting? Yes. I don't have to like look for sponsors. And stuff. Right. So um, so then started sort of like a weekly show. It it depends on the month because in the, the, you know, the summer is like dead when it comes to TV. It's all reality TV and sports. So there's not that much to promote. But then during like, the spring and the, and the fall gets very busy because everyone's promoting their new shows during pilot season and the upfronts, everyone's announcing all the new shows coming next year um, and just establishing relationships with uh, it's like any actor establishing relationships with a casting director. It's just keeping in touch and, you know, sending updates and um, 
emails and stuff like that and keeping in touch with people to make sure they don't forget about you and that you still have something to offer in this case the platform to promote their clients work um and yeah it's just it's been a wild ride i never thought that mind you like when we hit 10 episodes i was like wow double digits here we go and we had our 100th episode a couple months ago and now we're at i think one i think 121 came out earlier today um and yeah it's and now then the other podcast i do uh for media village is like at over 50 episodes and and you know just trying to keep all of that consistent and making it into like another little side job for myself and it's been really fun because these are actors a lot of these actors are people i never thought i'd speak with it's people that i've admired and watched on my tv forever and not people i'm dming directly (laughs) or that i've worked with before personally yeah how do you, I guess, as a journalist, uh, kind of push the conversation for kind of multicultural or, you know, I guess, um, not activism, that's not the right word, I guess, like, being a person of color, right, and kind of talking about that in the media world, both on television, series, and everything, um, I think it is so relevant, right? And I think that obviously during 2020, everything that happened with Black Lives Matter and everything else and kind of, you know, Stop Asian Hate, you know, has kind of blown up um, the visibility. But as someone uh, like yourself who kind of has a voice uh, to talk out about those things, um, do you kind of see yourself in um, an activist kind of stance or do you uh, see like the importance of it uh, for representation, like for yourself and other people? So I try and have these conversations on all of my podcasts. Um, A lot of times it comes up organically. If I happen to be like, I just interviewed an actor, um, Bernardo Badillo, who is in a film with uh, Aubrey Plaza called Emily, the criminal. It's getting a release next week. I believe it was at Sundance and it got picked up for distribution. And the conversation just happened to start about like growing up as a Hispanic and a, and not being exposed to the arts early. We were both very much in the same boat. And a lot of these conversations come up organically um, when it's like a press day and they're kind of there, or it's like a junket. Right. They're there specifically to promote the show. I do still like to throw in the question, especially for a multicultural TV talk. Every episode I ask um, every guest, if they can recall a performance or a movie or anything that they saw that made them feel represented for the first time. And a lot of people have to like, stop and think because they like can't remember um some folks are like well i never uh, as a kid like i saw a female character and that was like oh i'm like that girl the the ethnicity or the experience of that character didn't matter to them so much while others associated with it very specifically um and a lot of people say like well i technically you know they say like well i've seen a Hispanic character that I related to, but as far as like a non-binary Hispanic character on TV, that's a lead. They haven't had that representation yet. So there's still a ways to go for a lot of things. <laughs> I, I feel weird considering myself an, an activist, if anything, I'm more of an advocate because I I'm just not as active as I wish I could be with these conversations, but I still try and do all that I can. Like for all the cultural months throughout the year, we have roundtable discussions. We had one for pride. We have one for native American heritage month for Hispanic heritage month. Um, and just trying to keep those conversations going and get multiple perspectives on everything, especially generationally. Like we had like a young Latino Hollywood roundtable last year. And I was with, um, like Disney channel kids and, talking about like how they're in a movie that they get to sing a song in Spanish and it's like a a Christmas movie for Disney, but you'd never think like, Oh, they're going to do one that's like cultural because they've never done that before. But nowadays they're very much pushing for that. And especially for representation for kids, because they realize how impactful that is without kids even realizing it. You don't realize you never had the representation until you see it for the first time. 
So I cried every time I watched Coco. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, I've never seen my family mm. on the screen like this. If anything, I identified with like spy kids, but that was like a mixed race family. It was Carla Giugino and Antonio. <laughs> right, Cadera, right, like, right. Uh, but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's just, it's, I very much tried to continue to have these conversations and I, I don't ever intend on stopping because it's always going to be important. I hope one day we can reflect and be like, remember how bad representation was 20 years ago, man, look how far we come, you know? Absolutely. Um, so, uh, just curious, do you have like a top three actors that you really want to have on your personal podcast, actors with issues that are like your, your go-tos? Man, there, the first answer is, uh, one of my biggest role models is Oscar Isaac because he, uh, un, of course he realizes the impact he's had, but it's sort of almost, it's almost like unknowingly he's like the first Latino lead in a star Wars franchise, the first Latino lead in, uh, in the, in like the MCU who's like leading a project. Like Zoe Saldana is part of an ensemble. She's doing amazing things and she's an amazing producer and director. She's done so much, but as far as like the MCU goes, like the title character, you know, he's done some, and my she Tess Thompson as Valkyrie as well. She's Latina. Um, and you know, they've made so many great strides, but like, he's one of like my biggest inspirations because he's such a versatile actor, but he seems like so chill in all of his interviews and like silly and goofy and like, doesn't take things too seriously. And I'm like, I want to just like chat with him for like 20 minutes <laughs> and just like, you know, shoot the shit about acting and, and, and representation and him growing up outside of the U S and all of that. Cause he was just such a fascinating guy. And, you know, there's, you know, legends. I'd love to talk to um like Denzel Washington and, just pick his brain about his early days or um people like james Earl jones who have been in the industry for such a long time and have so much knowledge and you know also that voice who wouldn't want to speak with someone that has that voice like come on on a podcast literally the voice (laughs) of a podcast yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah and also like actors like um salma hayek is such an inspiration as well because she's had her own production company for like I think 20 years and she was executive producer of Ugly Betty and all these other like shows and movies that she's been in and and was not also not she's not in everything she you know produces as well but just those people who like took the initiative to create the content that they weren't seeing are like such an inspiration to me that those are some top hitting names and I hope that you'll definitely get them because yeah that's that would be some amazing dialogue um so what do you on a personal note kind of what do you see as your greatest achievement uh that you personally take pride in uh, and then also kind of as a follow-up um this doesn't necessarily have to be um something that you're known for per se honestly like for me one of my greatest to the thing I'm most proud of really is my podcast because it's something that I started out of like just like a labor of love and it's turned into something more lucrative and more fulfilling than I thought it would be. I thought it would just be sort of like chill conversations with other actors and it's turned into, like I said, interviewing people who I've watched on TV. Like I interviewed Annette O'Toole recently. She's Martha Kent on Smallville. Like who didn't watch Smallville? Like all these 90s kids, like everyone watched that show. It ran forever. The shows don't even run that long. It ran for what, 11 seasons? Like shows don't make it that long anymore. They, you're lucky to get three these days, especially on streaming, especially the superhero genre as well. Like I think Net- Daredevil, one of the best superhero shows ever, got three. Um, of course, it's getting another one. It's going to Disney Plus. There's a new show coming out, but still, um, <laughs> you know, only took like 10 years to, to get it back. Um, but 
I just am, am very proud of myself because there are a lot of times that like I would take a little break from podcasting because the burnout settled in because I was like, I can't even think about finding a guest or again, I'd I'd be working from I'd be up from 3.30 a.m. and being like, I don't have the energy to, to interview someone now or to even like send an email like just it became so everything else became so tiring that this little outlet that I had for my creativity that I was in full control of because we're not in control of our acting careers and our booking and all of that. So this was like the one thing that I was in control of was getting like pushed to the side for a little bit. So every year I learned to like take a break unless the guests are just coming my way. But then sort of like midsummer, I'm like, cause my birthday's in July. So I'm like, enjoy your birthday, enjoy pride, have a couple weeks off and then start things up after that. Um, but I'm just so proud of, of, of actors with issues and, and all the people we've had on it and i'm excited for the future because it's not something i tend on stopping because it's so fun and, and so simple to do i do everything myself i edit everything and all of that so you know everything's fully in my control and i i don't want to give that up that's incredible uh would you ever consider having kind of uh starting something bigger than that if you will like uh a production company or something that kind of or even becoming your own podcast studio or similar to kind of, i guess what you have with media village like doing your own kind of version of that where you become kind of the overall creative head of something like that so I have a few like scripts in development and things like that, like a couple like comedy, like a comedy series, a few shorts, things that I've wanted to develop for a long time. Um, it's just been sadly again been put on sort of on the sideline because other things have taken priority. Um, but it's definitely things that I want to work on. One of the, the shows is a comedy that takes place, it's like a workplace comedy. Um, that I want to reflect the real diversity of New York City because so many shows we see take place in New York. Like, why is this a full white ensemble in a New York show? Like, you know, even if it's people that are affluent, they're affluent people of color in New York City, like more than people actually realize. Um, so it's always frustrating when you see a show like Friends or Gossip Girl or whatever. It's these full white ensembles that take place in New York City. Um, mind you, at least the Gossip Girl reboot has changed that. It is a very diverse ensemble on, in, in every way, but it's not that well-received of a show. But regardless, it's doing what it, it can to, to sort of change um, diversity and diversify their cast. But um, I definitely want to sort of get back on developing that show and who knows, maybe maybe turn it into an audio podcast because a lot of people do that. They make these scripted podcasts and then they get picked up to be a show. It's happened a lot over the last couple of years. I've seen so many, like, you know, again, with Publix, I get all these newsletters and press releases and stuff. And they're like, this successful podcast picked up by NBC or picked up by Hulu to develop into a show. And I'm like, that's amazing. It used to be books would be adapted to live action. Now it's like scripted podcasts because it's a lot cheaper to, to find five actors, five voice actors and, you know, put some background music and then to like produce a full show. That's a multi-million dollars. Meanwhile, you could do a podcast for a couple thousand, probably if you're actually paying people. But, um, I definitely want to get into that space of like scripted podcasts and just doing things that are live action and selling scripts or ideas and getting into that. Um, just cause I want to be sort of like Salma Hayek in the sense that she is this multifaceted person who is, you know, producing scripts and producing shows and, um, starring in some of them not all of them um i'm not i don't really want to do that i don't want to write anything and then put myself in it the show i wrote i have no intention of being in people keep telling me i should but i don't want to (laughs) i'd like to direct it 
I'd like to do a lot of behind the scenes, but I don't, you know, heads off to, um, to Kinta Bronson from Abba Elementary. That girl does everything for that show. She is in it. She writes it all. She's an executive producer. I think she's directed some of it. But I don't want to take on that much. We were talking about burnout and time management. I don't need to do all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, I, I, yeah. She's incredible. The fact that she's able to take on all of that is mind-blowing. Um, I'm just curious, kind of, uh, what do you think or you perceive to be your uh, greatest weakness? Uh, but then, And how do you kind of overcome that? Or what do you do in taking steps to kind of overcome that for yourself? So... I've mentioned time management a lot. And while I have like a color coded Google calendar, sometimes there are things not on my calendar that, um, I completely forget. Like I haven't been to the gym in the longest. I used to work out all the time cause I worked at a gym and I would just work out after my shift or on my breaks. And like now I haven't been there in the longest. And, um, you know, everyone put on a little weight during COVID. It's like, it happened to everyone cause we're all inactive for so long, but it's two years in. Why are we still using that excuse? I am one of them. I should stop. But, um, I think that just sort of like prioritizing myself and my own well being and health is definitely a weakness of mine. Um, because of my color coded Google calendar, everything there is like my priority, like do these interviews, deadlines, uh, you know, email pitches, follow-ups, all that stuff. Like it, so much else gets uh brought to the forefront while like i myself am not so much and it's a little frustrating i get frustrated with myself because of it but you know we're working on it baby steps are you someone that it's easy for you to ask for help or do you find that it is difficult uh because you want to just do it yourself and kind of be the person that not only motivates but pushes yourself and and makes you know shit happen if you will yeah i suck at asking people for help um, but then a lot of times for the things that I like to do myself, it's like, I also, I don't have the budget to ask people for help because people don't do things for free. Understandably, you're not going to edit a half hour long podcast for free. Cause that'll take you over an hour. It's a lot of time. It's not like, Hey, can you design this picture? This one graphic for me? It's, you know, I can do things for three clicks on my phone and then airdrop it to my laptop. I'm done. But like, why am I going to pay people to do that? But of course that little thing adds up, especially if I'm doing multiple podcasts, multiple episodes a week then like a lot of this can be handed off to people. I just don't want that. <laughs> I like to be like in creative control, especially like for my media village podcast. I edit that one myself. We do have wow. an editor, but I like to be able to like cut out my nonsense. I sometimes I ramble too much when I'm hosting. I'm like, you're not the guest. Yeah. Come on, shut up. But I still do it sometimes. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I still want to sort of be in control of that. And, uh, just control my own voice in that sense because it is my show and it's something that I want to be have more control of even though there are people who could help but I'm just stubborn I'm my dad in that way I know isn't it funny um the older we get you as much as we like to probably deny it we I at least I can only say for myself but I've just realized how much I'm becoming my parents and it freaks me the fuck out I'm just kind of like how do I not become that person but you know it's not a bad thing necessarily. You just have to take the yeah. traits that you don't like right. and shift them. So yeah. Has there been a point in your career thus far and kind of with everything that you've done that you felt like you've officially like made it um, or kind of like you were really trying to hit this goal and achieved it? Not necessarily like, oh my God, this is like the end all be all and I finally did it, you know, but uh, something that you feel you really um, are so proud of that you've been able to accomplish? As an actor, no, not yet. 
Um, I I did work on Blind Spot for several episodes, so that was like my first recurring role, which was a lot of fun, and that show was very good to me. It's what got me my SAG card. It's what helped me afford to move to New York because the multiple episodes of a show, you know, pays well. Um, and and the, I, when that happened, I was very much like, okay, let's momentum because the show wrapped. I worked on the the finale, the series finale in 2019, and then COVID happened. I'm like, well, there's the ball just hit a wall because there's nowhere for it to go because the show ended. And, and yeah, it was just like really wanted to keep the momentum going. When I got my first manager, I booked like one job at the very end of 2020. Uh, I worked on another show called for life. It was a one day co-star. I played a, played a reporter typecasting. Here I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that came out in 2021. That was like the only job I booked that whole year. Cause I auditioned like crazy. I had such a busy pilot season. I think I had like, just under a hundred auditions for the whole year of 2021 and booked one job, which was really disheartening. Cause mind you, you hear of people's like booking, uh, their, not their rate, their, um, I don't know what word I'm looking for. Uh, their, uh, their, 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 their track record and whatnot, you know? Um, and people say it's like 1% and I'm like, well, that's basically where I am, but that's not where I want to be. But, um, just sort of, you know, again, just sort of like, and I've made it for, it goes back to like journalism and, and podcasting, like my name being in the book for the critics is choice association because I'm part of that group of journalists. Um, and that was really cool. And, and, um, getting to go to the critics choice awards one year, like right before COVID was really fun too, because, uh, just getting to be in this event that I participated and voted in as a journalist. And, um, similarly with the podcast like once i started to speak with people i think like patina miller was like my first sort of big guest she was like promoting her show raising canyon which is on stars um and speaking with her was like such like a weird experience because up to that point i'd only it been a lot of dming people and cold sort of cold calls and emails and uh getting to speak with her about things and that was sort of the first realization i had of like, oh, these stars also still deal with nerves and audition anxiety and self-doubt. She was talking about it and, like, how when one job ends, she's like, okay, what's next? What what am I going to do now? Like, I need something else. And we're doing that from the one episode of a show we have in the book, and she's doing it with a series. And it's like, that never stops, that mentality of, like, what's next? Hustle culture. Like, that never dies. I hate it. I hate hustle culture. It's horrible. But, um, but yeah, speaking with her in particular was, was really, really cool. And that was last December, I think, or last November. Um, but that was a particularly great experience. And that's when I felt like, okay, this show can like, it's, it's, it has its legs. It can move forward and, and do more things like this and talk with people like her. Talking about hustle culture and everything kind of like, what is, what is that hunger inside of you that keeps you going? Because, um, you know, it is a freelance world. You know, I know that you said you had kind of these part-time gigs that you held down, you know, pre COVID and whatnot, and even post COVID. But like you said, if you're 1% of the, all the auditions and all the, you know, castings and everything that you're going to are the one booking kind of like, how do you keep that momentum going? Because I think just as in general, as creatives, I was on set yesterday talking with another person who, you know, was really down and she was just kind of like, how the hell do you keep going? And so I'm always intrigued to see and hear, you know, the stories of people, how, like, how do you keep moving when, even though you may be feeling like, why the hell am I doing this? I mean, that sort of self doubt and, um, and anxiety always sets in even like when i'm on set i've had like auditioning uh, uh imposter syndrome um as i mentioned before like 
you have that sense of, of feeling like who let this happen? I don't deserve to be here. But then you have to take that moment and like reflect and be like, no, you worked your ass off. You got your degree in drama. You have very much put in your dues. You're part of the union. You audition a lot. You take classes. You do workshops. Like you've put in all this work to get to this point and you deserve to be here. And the moments that you're not here, that you're not on the set to have that moment. Um, similar it's very similar though you have to just take that moment and reflect like all of this hard work is going to lead to something whether it's like your big break or just a one episode of a show or a small recurring role like everything leads to something else and this one conversation i had with this actor uh gage banister uh he was i think my first ep- my first interview of 2021 he was like my my sort of new year's episode um he had said that he and I were talking about like how there's always an actor behind you who wishes they were where you are. When you book, if if you're on, uh, if you're like a series regular or you book a pilot, there's hundreds of actors behind you who are like, man, I wish I just want to book a pilot. Pilot's all I need to 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 break in and whatnot. If you just booked your first guest star, there's someone behind you saying like, man, I'm sick of co-stars. I want to do a guest star. If you book a co-star, there's people saying, I haven't booked my first co-star. It's been two years. Why haven't I done that yet? Like there's always someone vying for what you have and what you want. And you have to remember that you're in a very fortunate position. And even if it's just, if you're not booking, people are like, I don't even get to audition. You're lucky you have auditions. Cause that's a huge victory. Cause you know, thousands of actors get submitted for a one line role. And if you get the audition, you just beat out 3000 people for 20 spots and if you book it you booked out your you know you beat all the other people and it's just remembering like that this is such a numbers game and it's such a saturated market that every little thing you do is a win and an accomplishment in itself so you know as soon as they started auditioning for tv and film I was like oh my god i'm so lucky because a month ago i was doing zero auditions and now i'm doing three a week um mind you i'm sort of back to that because unfortunately last month my manager dropped me unfortunately um, after two years with them. So I haven't auditioned very much besides like self submissions. So I'm sort of like, I had to try very hard to not get down and just understand it was, it's a business. And I booked that one job, as I said, in the year that I was with them and that wasn't enough. And that's fine. Cause they have to make their commission and they're not making commission off of your one job. <laughs> you know, not great commission at least. And you know, just having to like remind yourself of that, like, it's not personal. This is business and people go through agents and managers like Kleenex throughout their career. Like very few people are like my agent of 30 years. Like no one says that anymore. Like, cause it's just, it's a numbers game. Like we've said, there's so much work out there that if you're not booking, they have to drop you because they're a business and they have to stay afloat. Like, like I said, one of my manager, one of my agents or the only agent I've ever had closed up shop completely because she probably gave people too many passes, you know, like she probably held on to people for too long who weren't booking and, managers are trying to avoid that so it's like i get it and just trying to to keep all that in mind and just knowing your self-worth and all the hard work you've put in is going to lead to something down the line eventually you personally have kind of like a close-knit group of either friends or colleagues that you kind of um are able to kind of bounce kind of these maybe frustrations, but also just kind of talk with you know and have um dialogue about these things that maybe you know help you to kind of stay on the positive side of things and keep going forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think my first advice to like every actor, especially after you move to like a major market and don't know anyone is like take a class and make friends there. 
because all of those actors are on your level, you need a little group of a uh, little support group to not just celebrate the wins but grieve the losses because like you're allowed to be mad that you didn't get a role. Too many actors are like mind you, I've said it before. Like you just have to like rip up your sides, throw them out and that's it. Put it out of your mind. But like no, I've auditioned for pilots that I would have loved to do cuz it went to series and maybe got canceled after a year, but I would have loved to be part of the show for a whole season. And or for this movie, like uh, last year, 2021, like I said, it was like my busiest year as an actor because everything Latino that was coming out in television and film, I was auditioning for. Father of the Bride, The Valet, Promised Land. I auditioned for The Boys. I auditioned for a Marvel show. I don't know what the hell it was because it wasn't a real scene. They're fake sides. You know, they give you just dummy sides. I'm like, what is this? What? And, and, you know, just like I was just very fortunate that I had all of these auditions for these great projects, whether they were successful or not. But it's just like I had people that I could go and talk to, like my best friend, Alec, who, like I said, was like my first guest on Actors with Issues. And he does like a New Year's year in review every year. Uh, and he lives in Atlanta and we help each other with self tapes all the time over Zoom or, or on our phones and whatnot. And um, there's him. There's a few other friends I have that live here in New York that I can just like hit up and be like, how do you get over this? Or like, can we, can I vent to you for a sec or whatever? And it's just very important to have that little support group because you can't bottle in all of this. Like we can't, you know, it's like a soda bottle. You just keep shaking it and you open it. You're going to explode and you have a meltdown, which is what happened to me at one point. I had like a complete meltdown over exhaustion and not being motivated and being too busy and, having no energy left for an audition that I had. I had to like drop the audition at the last minute because I had no time and energy. I was like, I was crying literally because I was like, I'm so tired. I can't memorize this scene. I can't get it out. Like, it's just like, I don't want to turn it into bad tape. So I just told my managers, I'm like, respectfully, I have to decline and please book me out the rest of the week. Cause I was like, I'm exhausted. I can't, I know you guys don't want me to turn into bad tape and burn a bridge. So I'd rather just decline everything now than, you know, ruffle feathers so you know you're kind of talking about mental health and obviously the pandemic kind of exacerbated that i think to another level um and people the awareness of it kind of you know grew which is great um especially for men in general who probably we have this tendency to not necessarily pay attention to that and just kind of like you know schluff it off and just be like ah whatever i can keep on going you know you got the strength until you do have a meltdown or something so uh for you kind of what steps do you take um other than saying like book me out or don't you know put me through this process but how do you kind of stay um mentally grounded and also kind of um maybe if you i don't know if you're spiritual or have you know faith in something or religion uh, but maybe if you could share some of those things that kind of keep you from you know losing it or just kind of you know stepping away from everything for me um, I work from home now so I like very rarely leave if it's too hot out I'm not leaving my apartment like we had this heat wave in New York last week and I think I was indoors for like four days in a row because I'm like if I go outside I'm gonna burn to a crisp um so let me not put myself through that um but like the days that the weather is agreeable, I like try and go for a walk, even if it's just like to a bodega to grab like <laughs> a seltzer or something, just go outside, get fresh air, open the window, look outside at these beautiful green trees right outside my apartment. I'm in Brooklyn. So we actually have trees here. Um, and, <laughs> and, um, just, you know, like I, I heard something recently that was like, um, 
do you ever wonder why you hear the birds chirping in the park and whatnot? And it's because they're in their safe environment. So if you're home and you are surrounded by just mechanical sounds of your TV, of your AC running, and you're not getting fresh air, you're not hearing these sounds of your welcoming environment, like you're you're basically being a, a like a, a caged animal who is not in the environment they have to be. So it's like open up the cage, go outside, listen to the birds sing listen to the plane go overhead, you know, just sit in the park for five minutes and just absorb everything. And like, that helps you like even realize that like I, it was a friend's birthday recently and we went to uh, prospect park and just sat for like two hours, had a little picnic. We got home. I'm like, that was so lovely. That was just so nice to like, just sit in nature and chat with other actor friends and just, you know, get to just be, just be more chill like the musical. Ha. Uh, and just get to like chill out and um, and and just enjoy people's company and without like any you know other like motives because so many times actors know the network 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 I hate that word <laughs> it's so annoying like, networking with other actors exactly like you like how is that gonna help you like don't be so like it just feels like gross to me when people are, like network I'm like that sounds so transactional like what can you do for me it's like nothing because I'm an actor I'm a starving not starving artist but I'm an actor who's yeah. not working. How can right. I be helpful to you? No, you can't be in my podcast. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you know, like just, <laughs> um, but just uh, for me, it's very much like going on walks, being in touch with nature. You know, there's nowhere to go hiking around here. Sadly, if there was, I would do it very frequently. Um, but also just like, for me, cooking is a huge, like cooking is my, the kitchen is my Zen. I tell my boyfriend that all the time. He'll come in and try and talk to me. I'm like, nope, this is my Zen get out i need my space here because my dad was a chef like i said so i grew up around food and cuisine and all that stuff so like for me cooking is such a release and just like my little me time i get to do something that i love everything smells amazing everything tastes great um so just having like these little outlets that are not attached to your art is so crucial for people because you need to be able to dissociate yourself from acting don't say that like your favorite hobby is like I don't know your scene study group or whatever or like what do you do besides acting like don't name 10 things that have to do with acting like have something that's nothing to do with your like main art to be a little outlet whether it's like going to the gym or or taking a cooking class or whatever an, uh, an art class and if, if you know don't do it for the sake of like adding a special skill to my resume like, no don't do it for that do it to enjoy it and to just have some little outlet to be able to like just dedicate some time and shut out the rest of the world for a second and just focus on you and something that makes you happy. That is funny. I mean, I live in LA and it's, it can definitely be very vapid in that <laughs> regard where people, you know, you look at their resume or you hang out with them and it is this ladder that everyone feels like they have to climb at times. But um, yeah, surrounding yourself with the right people and friends that are, you know, just there to be friends and hang out, I think is so nurturing, but also so necessary. Um, and yeah, and having those things that you can do outside of your specific career, you know, like for me, I like love tennis. So, you know, I'm, I'd love to get out on the court, although it's it's hot as hell right now, so probably not. But yeah, I love you. You reminded me by saying going to the park and just enjoying the sounds outside of the box that you live in is so kind of reassuring um, and so necessary, I think, for your your mental health. So I'm curious, you seem like an extremely busy guy after everything that you just shared with us. So I'm just curious, kind of what is a day in the life like of Juan Ayala and how do you kind of uh, ensure that you kind of, you know, hit all those color-coded things on your Google Calendar as you shared? 
first thing I do, like I, almost as soon as I wake up, I have to check my email, just make sure there's no fires I have to put out and, you know, last minute interviews, rescheduling things and all of that. And the reason I have a color coded calendar is because I just want to know what each interview is for and for what show. So like purple is actors with issues. Blue is media village. Uh, red is for uh, Wafi media, which is another, uh, it's a startup that I do some, some things for. Um, they're another, they're like a Latin oriented uh, outlet. So I do like uh monthly or like sometimes once every other month uh, podcast series for them called Latin Arte. Um, and just so that I can sort of have everything organized. Um, but generally like I always have my giant carafe of iced coffee. This is electric unicorn bones coffee, not a sponsor, but amazing flavored coffees. They're so good. Um, <laughs> uh if they want to sponsor me by all means uh but uh you know just sort of uh starting my day with just making sure that there's nothing that i have to do like immediately and then i'll usually like try to make breakfast for my boyfriend and because i don't i'm not a big breakfast person um but again start up my day in my zen cooking in the kitchen um and then just making sure that i'm on top of everything and and looking at deadlines and release dates for for interviews and because again i edit everything so it's not just i do the interview and then i ship it off to whoever it's like nope you have to do like three more things before it goes out um you know following up on headshots and all of that but generally i just try and like keep everything as much of a like a, a flow as possible so that i don't realize like at 11:55 at night like oh my god i need to the, upload the podcast for tomorrow it's like no like today's episode was uploaded two days ago so i want to make sure that everything especially like with like youtube and with anchor and all these other platforms like you can schedule things to go out so if you know you're going to be busy you can at least schedule things to go out so that you're not like there's no time crunch because i i work well under pressure i just don't like it <laughs> i don't expose myself to pressure for that reason but um, yeah, just making sure that everything like flows well and staying on top of like communication too. Especially as an actor, you gotta check your email all the time. I don't understand actors who don't check their email. I don't understand anybody who doesn't check their email. Oh, you have an audition. <laughs> yeah, any age. I don't care if you're like 17. You're about to go to college. Everything's email. Into the workforce, it's all email. What are you doing? I know. There's so many people in this industry that don't check their email. And I'm like, you have a phone in your hand all the time and it has the mail app on it or something like you can easily check it. But yeah. What's one thing that you've learned about yourself actually being in this industry that you probably maybe didn't know about prior to uh, getting into it? I, I grew up with a lot of self-esteem issues. So it was always very tricky to like tell myself like you're good at what you do. And it wasn't until I started like booking and, hearing from other people who I did not know who were not just being like, you know, families, like you're never going to get an honest opinion from family. You might, but when it comes like, what was your favorite part of the show? Oh, all the parts that you did. What was your favorite song? The one you did. I'm like, uh, uh, let's be objective here. People like, what did you really like? What did you not like? You know? Um, or like, you know, people will watch your one episode of a show you co-starred in. They're like, I have no idea what's going on, but you look great. <laughs> like, thanks. Like, they can't actually give you constructive, right? Thank you, but not helpful. Um, but you know, just like learning and, and being self-confident, especially like, again, knowing my worth and telling myself like, you're good, dude, you, you worked really hard to get to where you are and, and you booked things for a reason. People want to talk to you for a reason and you're good at what you do. I feel like it just, it took such a long time to get there, especially because I was closeted mm. for so long. I didn't come oh, wow. 24. Okay. And it took such a long time for me to get to that point. So like part of me was always like, had a wall up. I'm a cancer. So 
they I don't I don't believe in all that horoscope <laughs> stuff, but they tell me the cancers yeah. put up walls and are emotional or emotionless, mm. one or the other. But um because of that just it, for for so long it was very hard for me to tell myself like I'm talented and I'm good at what I do and I belong here. I deserve to be here, you know. Making sure I don't cross that line from confident to cocky because no one likes that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. No, I mean I yeah, I definitely get it. So since you went there, I wasn't sure if you wanted to talk about it or not, but yeah, coming out, um, you know, quote unquote later at life, not really cause you're 24, but you know, um, kind of that process for you. And then also being, having to put yourself out there as an actor, uh, or just as a journalist, even someone who's constantly interacting with people, um, has, was that process difficult to kind of like self-affirm yourself, not only for you, like as your own, you know, being, but like also kind of going and being on screen and the way that you, you see yourself and others see you, is that difficult to kind of like reconcile with? Um, and do you kind of still go through that or is it kind of uh, subsided since you kind of have broken through different uh, barriers, if you will, for your career? So at the start, it was very tricky. So I grew up in a very religious family um, and in a Hispanic family. So it's double whammy if you're queer and want to come out, good luck. Um, I didn't feel comfortable coming out until I moved to New York. And then it was like, I'm out. There's no, I'm not at risk at all. Not that I felt at risk, but just, you know, for just for my own like sanity, I did not want to come out until I was out of the house. Um, and once I did, it was, you know, when I told like my sister and my cousins and, and friends, they were all loving and accepting. It was a lot harder for my parents. It's so difficult for them. I haven't seen them in a while sort of because of that um just putting up barriers and you know learning you have to do that to for your again for your own sanity and uh we're all adults people can make decisions and if they want to act a certain way that's their choice and i don't have to put up with it uh we'll leave it at that but um (laughs) but uh, as far as like in the industry it is still very very frustrating um when you read a script and a queer character is very stereotypical or they cast stereotypically. They might say like open to whatever. And then you tape yourself cause you are, que- I'm queer. So I'm just being myself. I know I'm not the most masculine man in the room, but I'm not extremely feminine either. I feel like I'm rather balanced between the two of those different aspects of myself. And that's not what, sadly writers or casting or producers or the network are looking for they're looking for it's very binary they're looking for like oh he's the guy you'd never think was was gay or you look at him and you know he's gay whatever that means um like it's not just straight and gay there's pan there's bisexual there's you know so many different things on the spectrum but they still don't really have a great grasp on um so like seeing those things and and mind you it's the same thing with being hispanic like it's like oh you're casting people who are like the first image that comes to a non-Hispanic's mind is what Hispanic looks like. But I know that there are black Hispanics there are Asian Hispanics. There are indigenous Hispanics. There are white Hispanics. Like we're, we're such a, we're not a, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Like we're, we're such a wide variety of people. We're not, um, we're just not one thing. Uh, and, and the same goes for the queer community. We're not just one thing. We're not just one look, one attitude, one personality. So, uh, not getting, far along for auditions for queer roles or for Hispanic roles can get very frustrating because it's like, well, I'm not the image of this one person, but that comes to their mind, but I am still all of those things. I just don't look it because of your narrow mindedness. But for in, in terms of like, um, 
everything else. It's like, I am that. Like I said, immigrant family, I didn't learn English until I started school because my parents didn't know English, so they couldn't teach it to us. I learned English watching Little Bear and Blue's Clues and things like that on TV. And, you know, grew up going to a Spanish church. I speak Spanish fluently still um, and have all this, you know, all of this regular lived experience that other people don't have. But for whatever reason, that's not enough. And it's like you feel that you have to put on airs in your tapes to come off more as what they're doing. And I like I almost refuse to do that. Like, you know, I just don't want to box myself in because everyone else boxes you in. Everyone who tries to put you in a box, like, don't don't be the culprit too. you know, don't don't stand by for that. Just do what you can and hope that the world, you know, comes around. <laughs> Find that that kind of stereotyping or boxing people in um, the only way for that to really change is through the writer's rooms and people that are kind of behind the scenes making this television or TV um, or series or Netflix or whoever um, or movies even to change. I do. So I think that there are a lot of showrunners out there who are changing things in, in, in the best way possible because they are in charge of the story. Um, it's not a network who maybe 10 years ago would, you know, say like, we need a show about a Hispanic family and they have one Hispanic writer, but the showrunner, the producer, all the casting directors are not like, I, I feel like there's not enough casting directors of color to be able to bring in this perspective of like monolith is the word I was saying. Like these people are not a monolith. They are like a wide varied group of people. And there, that needs to be the case. So many casting teams are like fully white and they don't get the nuances that come with our cultures. They don't understand the references and the Easter eggs. There's a lot of executives who are not people of color and shows won't get picked up because they don't get it or it's not like white enough. And then you, if you do make it white enough, show owners get accused of, of whitewashing or, or this is a show for white audiences, even though it's supposed to be like a Hispanic show. And it's just like, you almost can't win. There has to be this weird balance that we haven't figured out yet, but there are showrunners like, um, Gloria Calderon Kellett, who did one day at a time, the, the Netflix reboot. And she, uh, has a great show on uh, prime video, uh, called with love. That's about a Hispanic family and these, um, uh, multiracial couples and there's a uh, the one of the main characters is queer and 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 you know it's just it's such a great capturing of these different groups of people and cultures without making it about that you know like i i hate the types of shows like there's a place for them but not so much anymore but it's like i'm hispanic and i'm going to teach all these people how hispanic i am and teach them about all this like it's, it's it feels like an after school special and like there was a time for that but those are shows like Archie Bunker, which are like 50 years old. Like we don't need that anymore. There was a time and place for it. And at this point, if people don't know about other cultures, it's ignorance. It's not lack of education. It's not, it's, it's just ignorance. It's choosing not to expose themselves to that and to look into it. So I, I think that there are people who are like definitely like changing things, but there's, they can only do so much themselves. Like, you know, Gloria has, I think like an overall deal with, with prime video for like five years, I think, but she can only make so many shows in that span of time. So there needs to be more and, and more people opened up to that, um, to that experience. Like, like one of my favorite shows, love Victor, um, the showrunners are white and they have a lot of great Hispanic, uh, writers. I've interviewed them. They bring in a lot of great ideas. Um, but it's just like, if there was a Hispanic person in charge, a queer Hispanic person in charge it would have been such a different show. Like, 
And, you know, it would have felt like people accuse that show of being like, this was made for white people. It's like, well, Hispanics, we also don't have, like I said, we're not a monolith. So not all of us have accents and are like larger than life. Like other people, some of us are a little bit more introverted like me. Like, (laughs) you know, there's, there's just, um, just also audiences hold a lot of these shows to high standards and being like, I don't see myself reflected in this. This show is whack. It's like, well, not every show is going to make you feel represented just because you're Hispanic and there's a Hispanic character because your experience is not the only one that's out there. I like that also kind of that idea that you don't be, you don't feel represented through a character, a TV show or series or whatever it may be also because of society's wokeness that we all have kind of gone through in these last few years that everyone feels like they have to be represented if it's quote unquote representing their culture uh, that they identify with. Do you see that at all as kind of an, a thing? Well, like I said, I feel like uh, too many people expect to be represented. Like, oh, there's a new show with a Hispanic family. And if they don't feel represented, like, well, not every Hispanic family is the same. Like in Love, Victor, the family was not an immigrant family. I think we've seen enough immigrant family stories where like the kid's trying to figure out like how to be American. It's like, well, no, because his parents are American. So that's the reality for a lot of Hispanics. Their families have been here three, four generations. You know, we didn't all just pop up in the U.S. in the last 50 years. <laughs> uh, we've been here for a long time. Um, I think it's important for people to realize like no one project is going to capture your entire Absolutely. Life experience. You have to look at it like just little nuggets, little bullet points. Like for me, love Victor was so important to me because I was also, I'm also Hispanic. I queer and in a religious family and parents didn't have a great reaction to the coming out. So I felt very seen there. Um, I didn't come out in high school like Victor Um, I didn't have a little sister like Victor. I didn't have a supportive friend that I could count on when I was that age was not an athlete. So it's like, sure. There are things that don't line up, but some of them do. And that's where you feel represented. Even if it's just like one thing that makes you feel represented through a character, like that's enough. Cause it's something. Cause sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes you watch a show and no one is like you at all. Well said. Um, so through this whole process and experience, um, who has kind of been your one person who has been like your biggest fan or supporter of, of your career and kind of what you do? It's two people. Um, it's my boyfriend. Um, Eric has been an amazing partner. He, you know, knew me before I booked anything, uh, of, of substance, uh, and has been, with me through all of these burnouts and meltdowns and he's seen me struggle and has been there. He's been a shoulder to cry on. He's been a hand to hold and he's been incredibly supportive. And you know, if I, like I recently hit 10,000 listens for my podcast after two years, finally. And you know, he was like, let's celebrate. Let's go. Let's go. I'll, I'll buy you dinner. Like, just like very, like just like the little things. And it's like for other people, some people would be like, it took you two years to get 10,000 listens. I'm like, well, yeah, but at least, wasn't three years. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's, uh, he's just always been super supportive and, and sweet and, and loving and, and, but also keeping me like, you know, keeping my head on my shoulders. He makes sure that I'm yeah. a dreamer. Yeah. He, uh, keeps me grounded and I keep him grounded sometimes too, because you know, absolutely balance. <laughs> and, uh, secondly, my mentor, Ed Martin, he's my editor at media village. Um, he's the one who said, oh, you should write an article for us about a Hispanic show on TV. We don't have anyone doing that because no one speaks Spanish. So I wrote my first television review. He's the reason I became a published journalist and 
Uh, I've been working for Media Village now for five years. I've been working for them at a pretty full-time capacity for almost a year now. Um, I left the gym last year, thank God. Had to. It was, it was too. It was too much. Um, but he's just been such a great supporter. He's the reason I am in like the Critics Choice Association. He's the reason I went out to LA all the times I have. I've had general meetings at like CBS and CW because of him. I've got to meet casting teams over there when I was in LA. And he's just been such a huge supporter and and you know wants to see me succeed because he understands that. Because um, he was actually the producer of a play I did in Bridgeport. Um, when I was still, when I was still living in Connecticut and he's like sort of seen me come up. I've known him for six years now and he's seen me go from theater to television to podcasting and journalism and all that stuff. Like he's just been such a great supporter. So yeah, Eric and Ed have been just like two anchors on my boat, (laughs) keeping me grounded. Like, whoa, slow down, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Love that. Definitely have to have those people around you to kind of, yeah, like you said, keep yourself anchored. So kind of looking to the future, are there any goals that you have set for either your podcast or your journalism or even bigger things, um, relationship, um, uh, say in the next like three to five years? Uh, three to five years. So within five years, I would like to be a series regular on a show somewhere. I, I want to be, you know, because so many people try and focus on like, getting uh famous and successful like before the 30 i'm like look the first 30 years of our life our like our life expectancy now is like 89 the first 30 years of life is act one of this three act play act two is where the juicy stuff comes in act one's all set up act two is when you know things go crazy all the conflict the, the all that stuff happens and that's what that's the, the juicy part so like for me it's like i don't want to be successful i'm 29 now i don't picture myself being successful until i'm like 35 uh maybe 40 i don't know who knows and so many uh actors have become very successful like later in their careers um people have had like resurgences like jennifer like jennifer coolidge is a huge example of that she was super popular in early 2000s and just had a crazy comeback um and you know it's just uh as far as like my career just definitely like being a series regular by the time I'm like 35 probably and, and working on a show that is running for a couple seasons. And cause that's what actors want. They want that stability of like multiple seasons and you get residuals as an actor as well. So it's like that helps pay for things later in life. If you want to start family and send kids to college and all of that. Um, and with the next five years, I'd also like to do about 50 episodes, 50 to 60 episodes of my show, like per year. So with the next five years, we'll be celebrating you know 300 400 hopefully uh it becomes more frequent maybe 500 who knows but um just continuing my show and continuing to get guests and hopefully one day do things in person with people and not over over zoom and get to go to things like comic-con and do like a live recording at uh of my show because i hopefully will get to interview people of like a higher caliber as the years go on um and people have asked me like if you become a successful actor will you still continue your podcast hell yeah best believe i'm gonna ask all my co-stars to to come on my show and all the guest stars and i'll interview everybody anyone that wants to come on my show on you know at that point that's on whatever i'm working on is is welcome because i i I love talking with people about you know talking baseball hate sports but that's only reference i could come up with right now like talking baseball talking shop no talking about (laughs) about show business and all of that to me is just fascinating and i'd like to be married within the next five years i know i was like gonna put a ring on it 
There you go. Uh, <laughs> um, so what would you say to your future self, say 15 years from now? I know you were talking about age and time and everything, and you're almost on the brink of 30. And I know personally, when I hit 30, it was like a shit show for lack of better terms, but um, yeah, career wise, but just kind of, if you could say something now to your future self in 15 years, um, you know, when you're, you'll be in your forties then, you know, what would you say to yourself? Good job. You made it. You did it. You did that. <laughs> Just like, you know, yeah. Wow. Talking to your future self. I always ask the reverse question on my show. I'm like, what would you tell your younger self, you know, 13 year old you, what advice would you give them if you had a back to the future moment? Um, wow. But that in reverse, just, um, I wouldn't even want to say anything. I want to just like observe and like, what is your life going to be like at that time? And just like, you know, take notes and be like, well, how, how do they get here? What has changed? And just keep those things in mind, not obsess over them. Cause then it's a weird butterfly effect. Your multiverse, you know, branch timeline, all that stuff. It don't mess things up. Uh, multiverse of madness. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, definitely. I think just like, uh, just observe what life would be like at that point And just as a, you know, put on a hat, be your incognito hat and sunglasses, be like, Hey, good job, man. And just tell yourself that without them even knowing it's you because, you know, tell you that you're proud of yourself. But yeah, I think, I think just, you know, just that, just telling yourself how proud you are of, of all the hard work you've done in all this time, you know, it's a long journey. It's a marathon. Exactly. Yeah. All about the journey. Just a couple more questions. So do you have one phrase or motto that you kind of live by? Ooh, it's a biblical verse. I forget the verse it is exactly, but um, I uh, the there's a verse. I think it's in Romans. It's your present, your current struggles are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. It's like all the shit you're going through. It's okay. There's so much better coming. That's a thousand times better, and it's just a, it's just a simple phrase. It doesn't even sound like biblical. It just sounds like an old proverb or like a mantra or whatever. But, you know, it's just something I live by. Like whatever you're going through, things will get better. And and like like if I were, you know, to answer my own question from my other show, like if I were to tell my 13-year-old self who knew he was bi, who knew he was queer, who knew he was not going to be welcome or accepted by the people around him at that time, it's like just you'll be okay. Just do what you're going to do. Do when you do it and you'll be fine. Absolutely. Well, that's pretty much it. I just want to know kind of where can people find you on all your social platforms? Where can they listen to your podcast? Um, yeah, let us know. Uh, so Instagram is a Juan Ayala official. So Juan, J-A-N-A-Y-A-L-A official. And you can follow our podcast on Instagram as well at Actors With Issues. And you can watch our show on YouTube, youtube.com slash Actors With Issues podcast. You can just type in Actors With Issues, something will pop up. Um, and yeah, we have new shows every, uh, Monday bonus episodes on Thursdays. If there are any, there are for a lot this month, uh, a lot of people, a lot of Netflix, uh, a lot of Netflix guests with things coming out the same day. So you had to spread out those uh, interviews. Um, and, uh, yeah, just keep an eye out. Watch this space. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Juan. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts as well as watching them, uh, seeing your great interviews and yeah, seeing what else you have coming out. So appreciate you being here. I want to give a huge thank you to Juan Ayala for the amazing interview. Please check out the links in the description below for where you can follow and listen to Juan's podcast. This week's Buddhist quote of the week is, Great art is created only through diligent and painstaking effort to perfect and polish oneself by Daisaku Ikeda.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We look forward to hearing from you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Creative Lotus Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Zaki. Please go ahead and subscribe, rate us, and write a review. And follow me at Alan Zaki on social media. I look forward to having more amazing creative dialogues on the next episode.